You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. This is Ariel Adams with the Superlative Podcast. Today, my guest is Mr. Thomas Morph. He uh, recently is the co-founder uh, and the CEO of a new brand um, called Aramides. It's a very interesting brand that we're going to talk about. But Thomas, hello. Hello, Ariel. Thank you very much for having me. One of the reasons that I think you're particularly good to be on an episode of Superlative is because you have worked at a few different watch brands and represented them. And so you have a little bit of a variety in perspective. And um, you, of course, have connections to different parts of the world and things like that. But the first thing I want to say is, what exactly attracts you personally to watch design? Because one of the things that I first remember about you is this notion that you you were sort of never with the standard kind of watch brand. You like different things. Uh, explain that in your own words. Yeah. You know, first of all, I'm I'm very intrigued by technology in general. I'm a, I'm a wide varieties of technologies. They, they already, always caught my interest, always. Whenever I was young, be it cars, be it aircraft, everything was with technology. And, and, and I always uh, embraced these things and I wanted to know more. So I'm a very curious guy. I want to know things, how they work, how they, they how people tick, they create these things. But it's not only technology, it's also from a design standpoint. I like things that, um, you know, they look different, they do different things. And this was always um, one of my, my... Could you give some examples, maybe? <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I mean, examples, you know, when, when things, um, let's say in the automobile industry, you know, I was, I was always intrigued by, by cars. They, they had some, you know some four camshafts or they had, you know, six carburetors like the Italian cars. It's not about how much they cost, but they were spectacular in technology. They were spectacular in, in the look or let's say something else on, on the other side, you know, the simplicity of a Porsche 911, not because it's a 911. It's not about the status. Uh, when I was a little boy, I always was intrigued by this. And I remember some episodes when I went to my grandparents, at the Lake of Constance. So the first thing I did, there were some some real nice restaurants, uh, so high class restaurants. I, I went there as a young boy. I just was car watching, you know, watching cars. <laughs> and, and I remember that. The first thing we stepped out of the car and I left. I didn't even say hello to my grandparents. I left near to these nearby restaurants on this parking lot and there were beautiful cars you know that be jaguar mercedes or everything everything that it, it got something special on it you know from the look from the technology also aircrafts was something that intrigued me by the performance by the look you know how spectacular and I, i'm always fascinated by the people behind how do they come up with something and i wanted to be uh somebody like them you know i always had high respect for engineers they they go the extra mile they're not happy with what they have you know they push boundaries I, I love people they push boundaries to the next level and this was something i was always intrigued you know i'm i wouldn't say yeah i'm, I'm kind of perfectionist people call me a perfectionist you know i, I i'm not happy with with these basic things, it's, it has to, there must be more, you know, and the products I was instrumental with, be it with, with Bucher at that time, or, or Favre Leuba, or even Hanhardt, or even now with Aramedes, they always have something special in it. And this special thing is, is one of my, it's apparently in my genetics, and in my, it's one of my triggers and one of my drivers to, I like exceptional things, but it, it definitely, it's not about status and it's not about <laughs> the price. It, it's funny how you have to keep saying that in the industry. What I hear, yeah. if you permit me to, mm -hmm. to sort of suggest is you like specialized tools and it's, you know, with cars as a kid, I remember you see all these different cars. You wonder why they're different. You wonder why they don't all look exactly the same. And you wonder why does Correct. this one look that way? Especially, you know, when, when I personally believe that uh, in the 60s, 70s, or even 80s, 
cars were way more spectacular or products in general. Nowadays, everything look they, everything looks alike. You have to find you have to dig deeper to find something special. And this and and you can see the over commercialization of things um, is apparent. You know things that sometimes I even can't distinguish cars or I can't distinguish products anymore. I have to look twice or three times. Okay, so interesting you mentioned that. And I think that, you know, back in the day, you had a lot more companies that were proudly trying to be distinctive and original. Whereas today, it actually can make very good business sense to copy someone else and make consumers mistakenly yes. believe you're associated with something else. So that's the that's the reality we live in right now. There's yes. a few people who still have the ego to be creative, and then you have a bunch of followers because they feel that it makes good business sense. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. In the watch so, industry, it's the same thing, actually. Look, yeah, I think I think my world, from my perspective, from my point of view, is I stand. I I, w- I would like to see products out of the ordinary, out of the mainstream, and um, the mainstream is is not giving me the satisfaction I want from anything. Also from music. I'm a very, I'm a music aficionado. And I listen oh, really? to big time, big time, big time. What's your, what's your jam? <laughs> well, basically, you know, I like kind of progressive music, you know, and for a okay. reason, progressive music, it's, it's, unlike anything else, you know, it's, it's progressing. It's always progressing. That means there is no systematics in it, kind of, you know, with this polymetrics and polyrhythm. It, it has, it, it's, there's a lot of creativity in it. And, you know, I was always trying to find more about myself. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to find out more about myself because that is something I noticed, you know, everything that is out of the box has something that attracts me. You see, there is more, it goes more into it. It's not just making a product. Maybe this is not the most commercial way of doing things. Yes, my the, the music I'm listening to, the products I I, I'm attached to might be not the most commercial ones, but they give me the most satisfaction. And sometimes I think, you know, squeezing more, more percentages out of a product is not what I am looking for. There is more to it and and more about, um, you know, finding something, finding something exceptionally uh, in its technology, in its design, and still, of course, we have to be commercially successful. We cannot uh, live on nothing, air, hot air, whatever. But I think this is an important driver for me in general. And it always been, and I, I know how I, I really tick. And I, try, I was trying to find out why is that. And yeah. You know, look, this is the interesting thing. The watch industry is both amazing and tragic for people like you and me. Because I happen to be like you or I'm a fan of the weird. If there's something that everyone likes, I immediately turn around and go the other way. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I think you're kind of the same way where there's something about it being exotic. We'll just call it exotic, yeah. which attracts your attention and you're you're curious by it. You want to explore it. Um, and there are so many interesting watches for people like you and me, but they're decidedly niche. And we are sometimes, um, you know, not taken as seriously as we'd like with the more conservative mainstream who is less open-minded. So there's sort yes. of always a market, but it's always yes. kind of a um, slightly persecuted market. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree on that. Totally agree on that. But you know, this is, this is the way you are and I'm not trying to, you know, authenticity in my life plays an important role. You know, this is what I was taught by my father. Look, whatever you do, stay the way you are, be authentic and don't try to pretend, you know, and this is something I am, you know, and sometimes people like it, people dislike it. And I'm, I'm a straight shooter. You always know where you are with the morph, you know, and, <laughs> and, and this is, this is, this is my character, you know, and I, I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't bend over just to over commercialize things or whatever. It's, it's against 
my nature somehow. But of course, you know, success is an important factor and we want to get things done and we want to make money. We need to make money on every on every uh, project we have. Of course, there's no doubt about it. But it's not the ultimate goal. It's not the ultimate goal to be the most commercial, the most successful one. You know, that's well, not my... By definition, of course, it's not. And we have in the luxury world and the technology world and the fashion world these maverick characters that are not motivated primarily by money, but the desire to be original or to be artistic or to be, yes. you know, simple explorers. And once in a while, they hit on commercial gold, and that's what fuels the entire system. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, you know, that's why we also, when when we and my team and I, when we won some prizes, you know, we were always going a little bit further and to the next step and try to make this happen with the peripheral rotor at that time. We, I had, I had some. And Carla Bucherer. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. Let, let's talk about that. Most of the people listening to the show need a little bit more context, don't know about your career. Um, you know, I know about some of the things like that. Let's let's talk about some of these. So, you know, it began at at Karlov Bucherer, but name name some of the brands again slowly, because if you go and look up some of these brands and you look at the watches and you know watches, you're like, oh, these are these are these are major brands, but these are definitely not super well known, definitely not mainstream yeah, looking products. Absolutely, absolutely. So I would say, you know, when I, I initially started um, uh, with a company in Zurich, you know, they had. They represented several brands in the Far East. They had offices from um, Japan down to New Zealand, Australia, New Zealand. So they were representing Audemars Piguet, Jaeger LeCoultre, um, Tag Heuer. They mm -hmm. owned, at one point of time, they owned Girard Perigo. They, own, uh, they owned Maurice Lacroix. They were representing... Um, Porsche Design, Eternal, Gondosh has writing instruments. They were raw material traders. There, it was a, you know, it was a trading company in a way. You know, um, that's that's where I, I uh, learned my first steps in the watch industry. Um, so I went to the Far East, and we made the introduction of the Piguet and the Jaeger into these markets. I was handling Maurice Lacroix because we were the brand owners there. Uh, we uh, established uh, the Masterpiece Collection, you know, a bit more upmarket, but still accessible, accessible, right. affordable luxury. We had some really cool stuff in there, like with the Venus movements, the Walshu 72, Walshu 92, some really cool movements. Um, and we used them and still the, the watches were were really still, in a way, affordable. Not cheap, of course not, with these kind of movements. Uh, that was 25 years ago when people not really started to have these kind of movements. And we had them and we used them in the Masterpiece Collection. And I was pushing very strongly with uh, the guy, uh, René Baumann, who was the product manager. So we pushed these products, especially in the Far East, and they were well-received. You know, the Far East was very, very receptive to these exceptional pieces. So we saw there is more and more to come. And then I was on a business trip uh, in Australia for this, for the before mentioned uh, uh, company. And I got a call from a headhunter and they were explaining me that uh, the, the, the Bucherer group is looking for um, somebody who wants to establish their own brand. And I said, it must have been flattering. Uh, I wasn't interested in Bucher Watch. No, 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 it's not about Bucher Watch. They want to do something new from scratch. They have an idea. They want to really become less dependent on, on just the retail. They want to be, become more, you know, also be seen as a manufacturer. They had some manufacturing capa uh, capacity, but more as an assembly uh, atelier. And so I said, look, I have to go. That was about 20 something years ago. I had to go back for Christmas anyway to, to Switzerland. So I met these guys from Bucher. The, the, I met Mr. Bucher and, and the, the acting CEO at that time. So they explained me what they have in mind. And I said, look, if that's the case, that might interest me. I'm, I, I like to build things, you know, from scratch. They had done some preliminary work. They were working on the branding. They were working on a couple of things. 
they also had to they, they started with some collections which i found not really it's yeah it's more okay it was an okay collection i said look if you if you if we i always keep on saying if you really want to create an impact there is two ways either you're doing it at an exceptionally good price then price is the trigger or you have an exceptional good product you know uh, you have something that stands out of the crowd so I uh, then we agreed and I started uh, I started with it and there was a lot of work even if you have a, a larger group behind you but there's a lot of work you know the work remains the same you start from scratch you have a little bit more funds at your disposal and it was the wish of Mr. Bucher actually to um, to have his own brand not just representing brands but to have his own brand that was that was the strategy the board of directors took. And, and we're talking about the basic of the birth of Carla Bucherer. Yeah, right, right. So we started, we started, and I said, look, with the collection we have, we do we need we need to do something special. So the travel tech was when that was the first thing. The travel tech is still one of the best selling products they have. Um, we wanted to create something special, you know, with this with this lever on the side, you know, and and me as a with, with the background as a mechanical engineer, you know, I know how these things work. I know how a movement works. It is something I can I can imagine, you know, how wheels are turning and this and that because I know it by by profession. By so we came up with the travel deck, and the travel deck was an instant success, and it brought the brand. All of a sudden, you know, first of all, we were fighting against the name Bucher. Yeah, it's a retailer's brand, you know, it's a Turno. You know, sometimes they compare it, compared it, but Turno wasn't really creative. They made some nice designs or some designs. They had called, their own in-house watches. That, that's right. So yeah, we had yeah. a total different ambition, you know. The ambition was to, to establish Carla Bucher on a global level. And then we started with these exceptional products, you know making some uh, some really funky things and still in an accessible way you know and i said carlef Buch is not the typical tourbillon brand and the tourbillons they should be with with the real big big houses like the odemars and the patiks and the jaegers and blah blah i said we have to do other things we don't have to follow this footstep so then the peripheral roller came i said look there must be more than just the ordinary, there's the micro rotor, there's the central rotor. I said, what about the peripheral rotor? There is an opportunity we had. And uh, we started to work on this peripheral rotor. And then we started with the CFB 1909. I think we, we launched it in 2009. So again, you know, coming back, I wanted to show that we have the creativity and the will to do something from A to Z, and that brings the brand to us, to gives the brand a certain level of 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 of, you know, of acceptance, especially when you fight against uh, the opinions. Yeah, this is a retailer brand, and we clearly wanted to distinguish ourselves from the retail business. Retail business is one side, and the the brand business or the manufacturing. But, but that must have not been side. universally the opinion. Now I totally get where you're coming from, but let's again. I just like to give everyone context. Bucherer is a important retailer chain in Switzerland and now the United States because they recently pur purchased Turneau. Ironic that you mention it. But most of the profits uh, until recently came from shops in the city of Lucerne, which was a popular destination for uh, tourists, a lot of which from China. And they were doing a lot of business in the city of Lucerne. And there's it's a you know it's a multi-brand store that sells you know all kinds of stuff and what is often the case is they sort of see the margin on these and like hey we could we could have a watch too and so one of the common approaches when it comes to having an in-store brand is to offer a familiar product at a lower price point maybe than the name brand and and some people will get that or you could do a gift with something else so there's all kinds of ways of making value of it, of it. And, and Thomas you you mentioned that and then the other approach, which you mentioned, is to be distinctive and do something different, which comes with risk and also requires vision because you need someone to be kind of this, you know, creative leader to say, hey, I know we're talking about, you know, men's jewelry items, but we have to think from an engineering perspective of what would be cool and capture the emotion. Sorry, just trying to offer a little bit of context. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So, but that, that brought the brand, uh, actually, that 
gave the brand, you know, the the acceptance what is required, and 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 I think this is an important thing, you know, that you can show something because the watches in general they were not cheap watches, you know. I mean, they were nice. No, not at all. The, the Petrovi case is very nice. The details that went into it, you you can see that that there was a lot of passion that went into these products. And the team, the product team, they were all passionate people and they wanted to do to create something special. And you, you can feel it still today. Yeah. You know, you have, I think the, the products are nicely made, nicely created. And, you know, I, I still had some, some other things in the pipeline, which I didn't, um, which I didn't implement because uh, in 2010, I left the company and to pursue another another uh, another uh, project actually so i th- i thought it was about time to you know i was t- 10 years there and uh, things are not the that's same that's a long things, time it's a long yeah, time things start to become a little bit more political and this and that you know so you you spend uh, quite some time or quite some energy energy and time into into other things you know of uh, being the being, you know, the, the 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 link to the board of directors, you 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 manage you more a manager than than you're managing more than you actually spend time with the products and those things that really attract you. And sometimes, you know, they're all. But yeah, I mean, you're you're a product guy. You're you're not there to like you know juggle personalities. It's you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's definitely you know I I got along with the with the team very well. I had a, a strong management team, but still you manage people. You know that's it's it's you have to motivate them. You have to you have to coach them. You have to bring them to the next level. I always said for myself, you know, I want to have the best people surrounding me. You know because from them I can I can profit. It's not me. I know everything. There's a lot of things I can learn. But I'm the coach. You know I'm juggling with everyone. Everybody has its its traits and everybody has its 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 strength right. and, and weaknesses. And you have to you have to end of the day you're you're in you're you're the coach of the team and you have to make a very a functioning team and, and and functional team that they work together and 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 I always say look we have no time for politics and and we are as one and I want to I want you really to work uh, for the for the for the so overall. what happened so where'd you go after Carla Bucherer well then I was approached by somebody in Switzerland who had acquired uh, uh, a brand called Hanhart Hanhart right. was of course was known to me. They uh, they often called him uh, Hanhart was although he was founded in in Switzerland in nearby Schaffhausen where IWC is um, they called it it's the German tag Hoyer the German Hoyer and uh, because then it, they moved to the Black Forest because uh, in in the region of of Schaffhausen uh, there weren't a lot of watchmakers but interesting in in the southern part of of Germany. There were lots of watchmakers because of the Black Forest, you know, Hanhart and uh, I think in the in the twenties and thirties they moved to the Black Forest. There was Junghans, there was Kinsley, there were lots of manufacturers of watches, and of course, the the Germans they were well known for their uh, utilitarian uh, watches, you know, especially for air forces, you know, timers and and. You know, the, the military purpose was was quite uh, a big driver for the Germans. Still, still popular in the market today. Very much, very much. That's why the Germans, they very like this reduced, very simple, very, very basic looking watches. Whereas from the French side of, let's say, Switzerland, or the, the more the Latin influence is more the decorative element. Whereas the Germans were way more functional, as you can see with their cars compared to the British or the Italian car, you can see the difference. The same thing can be applied to watches. So, but Hanhart, I knew, of course, and I love, I loved the history and I loved the, uh, what they did in the past. So I was a shareholder as well. I was a minor shareholder, but there was a Swiss investor who actually acquired that company. And I, I knew, you know, it's, it, there's always a risk if you do, a restart or a repositioning of a brand. We started also there. We we had to revamp the collection because 
the previous CEO. He well, ex- explain explain what's wrong. You know, like when you, like when you go into a brand like that, most people have no idea what type of work that entails. Because from the outside, it's like you become the CEO and then you emerge after three years and said, hey, I did something. But obviously, it's more complicated than that. Absolutely. Way, way more complicated because it's the same thing. You know, I always, I always, when I, when I start doing something like repositioning or relaunching a brand, the first thing I do, and this is not rocket science, I look into the archives. What made this brand tick when the founder started and when, when, when they had, uh, when the brand has its heydays, you know? So I always try to find out what are the triggers actually that made this brand tick? And the same I did for Hamnard. And I knew, you know, this is the the pilot's watches. I mean, the genuine pilot's watches uh, racing, you know, the, the whole racing thing uh, in, in Nürburgring and the motorsports and everything. And, and you know, the funny stories that few people don't know, but this what I was told by Jack Hoyer one day. When, when Hoyer was in a very bad situation in the 70s, and uh, they wanted to they wanted to merge uh, Hoyer and and Hanhart, you know the, oh, the really? two guys. Yeah, they were because they were absolute. They were direct competitors, and uh, they wanted so to. It sounds so scandalous by today's standards. <laughs> and uh, they wanted to merge the two owners of, I mean, Mr. Hoyer and Mr. Hanot. They wanted to merge these two companies and say, look, if we want to survive in in the turmoil and uh, the struggles that the industry is going through, we can only do it together. But apparently it did right. not happen, you know. But, but yeah, tag, of course. Then TAC came on board, you know, Technic Avant-Garde with uh, this uh, Saudi investor. And, and then right. we all know Hoyer became Tag Hoyer and then, then it really, commercially, it really took off, right? Whereas as Hamnard stayed, you know, with the stopwatches for classic racing and um, some chronographs, but we revamped the collection and uh, still- today. So what would you do when you were there? What, what, were the, what was the heyday? What was the look? You know, as the technical product person, what were, you know, explain what you were going for. Well, basically, you know, the my predecessor, he threw out everything that was histo- of historic relevance, you know, the pilot's watches. Everything was, it was more or less um, uh, a school book exercise for them. You know, they were looking, apparently I saw some studies, they did it at they gave it to the University of St. Gallen, economics, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And they, they said, look, what is, why is Hublot that, why did Hublot become some, so successful? Uh, can you do an analysis? What should be done? Blah, 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 blah. And it was more or less, it was a copy of the Hublot approach. They wanted to, but you can never copy a strategy, a one-to-one strategy. It will never. Never, it will never. never. And one one thing was missing in the whole equation, you know. Hublot had a guy like Jean-Claude Beaver. Jean-Claude Beaver is one of the guys in the industry who actually shaped the industry more than anybody else. I think in the, in the past 20 years, you know, there's a few others. Günther Blümlein from IWC, Jack Hoyer at the time was one of the first with Formula One racing sponsoring. And there's some really icons in the industry, but there's not, there's a handful, right? And one of the guys definitely is Jean-Claude. Yeah, Lieber. of course, of course. And uh, we all agree on that, you know, and my my predecessor, they thought, yeah, we're going to do it the same way. They, they went up in pricing for, and the design of the watch, they had nothing in common with it. It was a total... Uh, cut off with the history. And then there was <laughs> a huge fan base of Hanhart. We should not forget, you know, there is fans around the world on certain brands, even if they're not commercially like visible, like in, in all the major cities uh, with 10 points of sale, but still they have a high followership. Yeah. And these people were totally, they were totally puzzled and said, what is going on with this brand? The, the look was they had nothing in common. And what, what what would what would Jean Claude Bevere have done um, at Hanover? I once I once spoke about him and I asked him about what would he have done. And you know, one thing I realized very quick: one thing you cannot 
do is copying him. He is one of the strongest assets for all the brands he was heading. Yeah, of and course. It's not so much, you know, the Hublot thing, and some people might agree, some people might disagree. I think, I don't think that Hublot has done a tremendous job from a product standpoint. That's what I think. That's my personal opinion. They did, I mean, commercially, they were great. Hublot was a dying, dying on a small, small scale brand. You know, they, I think they did about 30 million Swiss francs. It was founded in 1980 by Carlos Croco. And it had some, you know, what they had, they had this with, with this rubber strap, they had something, but it had no history, lack of history. They had some fans a little bit, but the, the brand was a dying brand. As soon as Jean-Claude Biver took over, he revamped the collection. He made it large, you know, he made it. But the, the basic design remained the same, you know. Yeah, it, yeah more or less. There wasn't rocket science on the product. He modernized the product. And for me, and this is, well, everything is subjective. I think it has a little bit, a little bit, they have taken over a little bit of the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak thing. You know, it's, Sometimes if you look at someone's wrist, you have to look twice. Is it it's now, is it a new blow or is it a, a royal? And of course he did some crazy stuff and this and that. I and never, then. I never saw the similarity. I swear. Really? I, I, I know that from a marketing standpoint, it's the same, you know, kind of consumer. I get that. But when I look at a, a big bang or a royal oak or especially an offshore, I mean, again, they're in the same category of watch, but visually they're not the same to me at all. Yeah, you know, at first at first glance, they have some similarities. You know, with the sharp edges and everything, it's not totally. And but you're right. If you if you take them together, if you take them, if you look at them together, they have definitely they they have a different look. But I think, and one should not forget. You know, I think at at a certain point of time. Uh, Hublot had taken away a substantial uh, amount of market share from Audemars Piguet. So, so you oh, yeah. have, oh, yeah. it's definitely, as you said, you know, right, rightly said, it's definitely in the same category. What, what he did was he is a market guy. Jean-Claude Piver is a market guy. He was 300 something days on the road. And I think that is mission critical. He himself with his with, with his with his vision he has you know with with his way of presenting something you know he he's a people's guy people follow his lips you know he they like him what he says it's it's funny it's 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 you know it's 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 contagious in a way you know and i think this can be copied. So he told me, you know, I, I explained him once what, what I do. He, he, of course, he knew the brand. He likes it. And, and he said he would do the same thing. You know, he would. I pushed really much the old stuff again. I revamped the old stuff, did some technical stuff in it, some, some interesting thing. I even had something in my drawer, the ultimate uh, pilot's chronograph. I had the ultimate, not, it. we didn't launch it because... After two, almost three years, I said to the main investor, look, it, the guy came from, the guy came from fast moving consumer goods. He had no clue what it takes. You know, there was a lot of work in, in that need, needed to be uh, done on Hanhart. And predominantly first thing is make the product right. For me, the product is the hero. And then. So wait, 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 what, what is this chronograph? The chronograph is still in my in my drawer somewhere. <laughs> was it like a prototype? No, 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 no. It's the concept. But I have okay. a concept to create. I guarantee you, this was would have been an instant hit. Guarantee. Wow. So you, more, you can still make it someday? More, more as a collector's piece. More as a collector's piece, because it would not have. It's good for the brand image or for a brand image. But it's not commercially something you would 
sell at thousands and thousands and thousands. But it's something yeah, that... Yeah, one of those cool things that people that yes. like, you know, exotic watches like you the and me would be really into. impact generators, I call them. The impact generators, you know. <laughs> impact generators. Yeah, that's good. We have to have a marketing twist. We're influencers, right? <laughs> Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Yeah, that's right. That's okay, right. so after Handheart, where, where, where then? So uh, I was uh, asked by, um, by the Indian group Titan Tata, a big conglomerate. They also own uh, Jaguar Land Rover. Massive Huge, company. Massive, massive. They acquired, I think in 2011, they acquired uh, Favoloba because Favoloba was once a huge brand also in India. Uh, and uh, some of their of the management team, they found it's something really cool to own Favoloba because they also have a luxury division where they do jewelry and watches, but watches not on the premium level and watches some, some, of, them, some of them made in, in India. But they have some, uh, they had some, some ideas of going more into the luxury side of the business. So they asked me, um, what would you do with a brand like Favoloba? And, and, you know, I had um, a consultancy agreement with them. You know, I, I did some preliminary work about the positioning, what I would do with the brand. Also there, I would, I told them, look, you have the body, you have the bivouac. This, these are the icons. You have to bring it back in, in whatever Whatever capacity. And, and this is the brand that had a really interesting history. Yes, this brand has a well, a huge history, but also too many people tried to uh, revamp and then they pulled out again because at the end of the day, as we all know, uh, rebranding, re relaunching a brand is not something that you pay just out of your savings. Uh, you know. <laughs> You have to have, you have, look, you have to have a strategy. You have to have the funds. You have to have the perseverance. You have, there's so many things look, you look, need. Look, look, people that buy these, see these things as quote unquote investment properties. And what they really are is like an investment hotel, you know, like it's a property and you're investing in it and you know, it's going to take some refurbishment, but you, um, the, people almost always systematically underestimate how much it costs to truly get a brand up and running and have some momentum. Everyone underestimates it. Everyone, oh, especially those with the deep pockets, they think, especially 10, 15 years ago, it was kind of cool owning a watch brand. So many nouveau-rich uh, people thought, yeah, it's kind of cool. I buy this watch brand. <laughs> but then it's not just... Not, not anymore. There's no... It's not cool anymore to own a watch brand. I guess not. Well, it depends, you know, end of the day, it's always what, what do you, what do you pay for it? You know, no, it's, it, it's definitely not as cool as it used to be. I've always called it, it's in your portfolio. It's a vanity company. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. It's a vanity company. You have something uh, kind of cool. You can show off uh, some exceptional pieces to your friends and whatever. Exactly. You have great parties. You know, if you look at the parties, the, the attention you have, the media, everything is, is you know. It, there's it, a celebrity wearing my stuff. You know, I can invite them to dinner, da, 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 da. It's different if you're a commodity trader or you have you have a watch brand, you know, it's, 
the whole world, you know, is 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 wow. That's their is, problem. People are trying to make money with watch brands. That's that's the that's what's ruining it. These business people. That's right. You you know how there is this, there is a saying. You know, how do you want to be? You know how to be, become a, a millionaire? I no. <laughs> You've been a, a billionaire and you bought a watch brand, then you become a millionaire. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Ah. That's a good look. It's like a yacht, you know. It's just yes. it, it's just you sink money into it. It might look pretty, but anyone who thinks that a watch brand is like a money gaining proposition um, is either too much of a gambler or is going to have you know a a, a real re- reality realignment. I mean, it's a it's. These are brands that are are for people who have the money to sink money into art. You know, you don't <laughs> you don't make money the traditional way with art, at least not usually. No, absolutely, absolutely. And there's also a nice saying with a yacht. There's two happy moments of a of a yacht owner when you buy it and when you sell it. There's yeah. two, these these are the two happy moments. <laughs> <laughs> at least it provides two happy moments. So certain pur- purchases least, have almost none. At least, at least. So anyway, so we we uh, we started on Favoloba uh, as a as a consultant, and um, we. Uh, I, I like what you did there. It was interesting stuff. I mean, the, the the bivouac with this, you know, these there's these depth meter watches and stuff like that. Um, you know, and and a concept like that takes. I don't know, maybe a decade or something like that. When you say that to the people who are the financiers and you're like, look, it's going great, but you got to be patient. You got to recognize a lot of investment needs to go into here. Why is that not what they want to hear? Or and, or why is that not what they thought was going to happen? Okay, I tell you the big difference. I tell you the big difference between uh, uh, Mr. Buchner, who is a private, he owns something like the Buchner Group on, and, and Colin Buchner, private, he doesn't need to please shareholders. Whereas Titan Tata is a huge uh, stock company and there's a lots of shareholders uh, involved. You have to please them, you know, and sh- shareholders, shareholder values and all these, these things, you know, they're, 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 they're the most important things and luxury and shareholder value in a way. It's it's a contradiction. It doesn't fit well together. It really that, doesn't. Yet they keep trying to do it again and again. Yeah, but you know, I mean, a- end of the day, you know, people want to see uh, higher growth, better better margins, better uh, bottom line, less stock, and this and that. That's why for me, the independent brands they uh, sailed okay. better. But I, I have a theory. I have a theory on this. Because again, this Tell happens me. a lot and we need to explore this because you're right. When these shareholder interests purchase a watch brand, usually bad things happen. So here's what I think is happening. I actually think it's the watch brands that are fault. And let me explain why. These investors are known investors. They are known to put money into brands and things like that. People know to pitch them. What I think happens is these watch brands they get to a point where they need a lot of money to keep going, or maybe someone just wants to get out. And the question comes up, who actually has any money we can take? Who can afford this? Who can we sucker into doing this? So they come up with some, you know, prospectus or valuation that, you know, they just they come up with the numbers, but they have the nice suit and the slick looking smile on their face and it seems presentable. So I think these investment companies are sold a false promise, to say the least, about a company that isn't as easy to make money with as they would have thought. And so they give it a go, not really knowing because there's someone who's just like, I can't wait to wipe my hands clean of this and get out because either I can't afford it or I want it to be someone else's problem. That's what I think is happening. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. I see the same way. So anyway, with with, with the Favoloeber, for me, you know, I'm, I'm I did uh, some some research, of course, the historic achievements with with the team, and there were some real great stuff what they did, especially the two icons with the uh, the bivouac and the body. And I said this is a must-have item. And 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 you know, the, the, was that I from mean, like the sixties? When was the original one from? The original were made in the sixties. Yes, sixty three. Yeah. 64, 65, 67 in that in that era, you know. But of course, it was slightly 
um, it was slightly different. It was only going down to 40, 45 meters. And the one we had was down to 120 meters. Also, the bivouac went up to, we, we did it on to 9,000 meters, so say higher than the Mount Everest. And it was a major exercise. It was it was a cool product. Of course, they were they were really chunky. They were they were and that for a reason they're in. You wore it pretty well though. You like you like a nice big watch, personally. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Really? Okay. I, not necessarily. You know, I'm the one I'm wearing is 42 millimeters. Not 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 at all. I'm okay, but you. like this, I'll tell you. This is how funny the watch world is. Some people think that's massive. Okay, forty-two millimeters. Yeah, okay, but it's not for me. That's about that's my average size is forty-two. But I'm just saying, like you talk to someone that prefers thirty-eight, and you know they're practically offended you would ever consider a, a you know suggest a forty-two to them. Yeah, but look at Rolex, the, the Daytona. Most of the people they find it's it's too small with this forty millimeters. And it Rolex, is, it is for a men's then, chronograph. It's a bit absolutely petite. forty millimeters. It's 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 nothing. You know, it used to be. I mean, think about it. Chronographs in the in the 60s, end of the day, were 36 millimeters to 37 millimeters. The bivouac, the bivouac at those those years, they were they were uh, 40 something millimeters already, 41 millimeters. So at that time, they were huge watches. But in order to accommodate the technology, you have to have a case with a certain size and with a certain ro robustness and ruggedness, you know, and. Also, you need easy to read. If you have this function, the analog way, it's a joke not being able to read it while you're out there somewhere. So, okay, so, wait, so this is a mechanical depth gauge watch. Yes. You, you wear it while diving, and it has this sort of diaphragm that, uh, that water pressure you know, pushes in to contract yes. and a small yes. hand yes. shows you your depth. And this is good to know. Um, yeah. You know, if you are a diver, you need to have one of these devices. Chances are you have a digital one. You know, who, we, there was this question in the watch industry, who was the person buying these watches? I mean, how many of them were actually taking it underwater? None. Oh, come on, one or two even? They no no they, they they do but the product is so nice you 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 probably it's it's something you know you can but you don't need to not everybody who drives a Ferrari goes on a racetrack to find out where's the limit kind so of. the possibility is enough just just the fact that you could do it is enough to most consumers I would say there's I'm sure there is few people that tried and tested it and they wanted to see it <laughs> for sure. And of course, and I did, and it worked well. But in general, this is something you wear for yourself. I mean, Rolex has a diver's watch. I mean, the, the, the deep sea 3,900 meters, which is <laughs> who, who has ever, ever, anyone ever been to 3,900 meters? It, it's, it's, just, it's totally ridiculous, but people love who, the story, don't they? Have have you seen have you seen uh, most of the people wearing a diver's watch from Rolex? They have ne they never submerged, never ever. But never. we just but you know it's it's funny. Sometimes I'll wear a watch. It's like a hundred meters water resistant versus like two or three hundred, and you know I feel vulnerable. Like oh my gosh, I I I might need that extra water resistance. So you're right, but at the same time, it's like these watch you know watch marketers have recognize that it does this thing to our male brain and we're like we just need the capacity if you will yeah the same thing for for pilots watches you know when you these you know these utilitarian watches which have less decorative char character you don't need that but it's cool to have in a way you know you know there's people they went the extra mile to get these things done and you know it helps the brand the yeah, brand yeah. is benefiting for something like that because you it's kind of a, a proof that the brand is capable of doing something, not just buying something off the shelf somewhere and put watches together. Because the biggest problem for me in the industry is, unlike the automobile industry, there is too many irrelevant watch brands around who have not accomplished a single, have not contributed in any single thing to 
to stand up. Well, let me let me turn that argument the other way around. Just because you contributed something as a watch brand, does that mean you automatically deserve business and people to no, pay attention to you? That's not what I'm saying. Okay. But it's end of the day, it's about credibility. Is a brand credible or not? Or is it staying true, true to, to its historical achievements, you know? Why can't you make new achievements? Like, why can't you invent something new? Like, you're talking about the need to be creative, but there's this sort of like preoccupation with it had, you know, the legitimacy had to happen in the past. It's not allowed to happen today. Now, now we're coming. That's a good point, Ariel. I tell you why. If you relaunch a brand, if you relaunch a brand, you bridge to its past. Okay, you make a bridge. What comes next after you, let's say you have created the new Bob, the bivouac, whatever, then you start doing something else. But to make to make the link from its hibernation from the past to today, you bridge. And then you you come up with what they, you know, when the brand was its it was in its heydays. And then you start from there. But to make, you know, to, to be really legit. My convictions also, you have to have, you have to bridge to the past, especially if the brand was in hibernation. It wasn't, yeah, nothing would happen over 20, 30, 40 years. But people always want to know what was the great achievements. And then, of course, you bring something new. You bring something new. And with Armides, the new brand, how did you take all these things you learned and apply them to a new concept and talk about the first product. You know, when we sit, when we sat together, my partner and I, when we sat together over a lunch in Zurich, um, we were discussing, you know, what can be done, you know? I mean, he, with his golfer's watch, Yemen and Stubi, you know, they had this golfer's watch. Was oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very nice, but also it was very niche. There's very less golf around. There's, yeah, very super niche, but they wanted to do something special. And we were discussing and brainstorming and we had a glass of wine and then we ate a little bit of something and, and it took us about four or five hours. It was an extended lunch. Anyway, and we always challenged ourselves. I mean, why, why creating another ordinary thing, you know, especially in, in, uh, in, in a very, very fierce uh, and competitive uh, industry. You know, we said, look, there is few high flyers. Uh, they, they are, they are um, the best and they are they ocup occupying 80% of, of the business and all the rest, you know, is eating the, rem the, the, the rest of what's around and then... And, and, and we said, look, we, if we if we do something again, it has to be different. And so we came. But, but this is funny. Wait a minute. This is funny because most people say the exact opposite. They're like, "What's popular, and how can we do a version of it?" So already you're you're doing your rebellious thing. Now again, I applaud you for it. I'm just saying it's interesting that you that's that's like a default mode for you. I think you know, just do it. Look, that, and we come back to that later. But it's exactly, I, I believe, I'm a firm believer that the world, the world is evolving and the world is, you know, our, all our, all the achievements human, human beings or mankind have done. It's because somebody pushed the boundary and somebody said, no, don't do it this way. You know, otherwise, do you, do you remember the statement of Henry Ford? Uh, which when they asked, what do people want? They said, more, more horses. Yeah, <laughs> a fat no, a faster horse, a faster horse. That's, that's the that's the point. And I, there must be people they're 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 not happy what the current achievements are. And and so we came up with this idea and said, look, there is there is a, a, a religious group. Uh, they have great achievements in astronomy, in mathematics, in literature, and so on and so on. And they use. In their daily uh, in their daily life, they're using sunrise, sunset, they all these things. They need directions wherever they are. If they practice their their faith five times a day with their prayers, sometimes maybe only three times, doesn't really matter. And they say, why couldn't this be an idea for us? You know, just to um, to do something for them. You know, we are 
we are embracing things and we we take up challenges and for us it was a kind so, of so you're challenge. making you're making a tool to suit a particular purpose which sounds yes. like it's your favorite thing always <laughs> <laughs> always absolutely this it's again you know it's a, it, it, it's a tool that serves a purpose you know and then when with Aramedis, we launched uh the brand two weeks ago on a one and a half week ago in in dubai during dubai watch week because we have created a watch uh a watch based on a mechanical movement as a base movement but with a high-tech module on top of it in order for the muslims to have uh, a qibla indicator which is the direction to um mecca wherever you are on this planet doesn't matter which longitude latitude we have the five time prayer times it shows you five times five times a day when to pray and it gives you a little boss it reminds you gently softly hey this is time to pray and then the third function is um a ramadan indicator during the holy month of ramadan it tells you when to start stop start fasting and stop fasting so these three functions but again and there's we, the tourbillon version as well don't forget yes 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 yeah we do the tourbillon version as well of course, yeah we combine the mechanical world with high-tech world and there's a lot of uh, in the past three years actually we we developed that technology and we have a patent on it so this is something we believe that has a potential we have of course i mean uh, there is 1.8 billion Muslims around the world. Uh, if we only hit 0.1% of the world's Muslim population, uh, we, 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 we are absolutely great. And we have no direct competitor. We have nobody else who does it that way. So there's no like smartwatch or mm -hmm. something like that that does this? Of course, you know, you have basically, you have not, not a smartwatch, you have, you have a smartphone who, who can do this. Like, with everything, reading time, you can do on your smartphone. But we wanted to romance the analog way. You know, we have a watch. But it's such a perfect. It's such a perfect thing for you because you have this like very time related, and I guess you know distance related. You know, geography related with the, with the the distance function, and you get to make a tool like that. Must have been really fun for you. But was it hard because you know unless you've changed. You don't, you know, you're not, you're not a Muslim person. Like, is that weird to design a tool for someone that that you don't live that lifestyle? Um, not necessarily, because also in 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 our in our project, you know, at the very early stage, we involved uh, people from that religion whom we know from our previous assignments, for whom we trust, whom right. who give us consultancy. I have. I would lie to everyone if I'd say I know about the uh, uh, Quran and all these things. No, I absolutely don't. I have no clue about this. And for us, it was really, it was a challenge to to make this happen also. But on the other side, you know, we 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 know that Muslims, they are very proud of their religion. And, and we had some really interesting and very interesting and very good feedbacks on our concept, you know, when I presented it to uh, to some really close friends uh, uh, who are Muslims, we presented a concept and they said, it's a very cool thing and, and this is something you need to pursue. Um, uh, they, they really like it, you know, they're not, not even in, the, in this industry only, but also in people from the industry. And for instance, Siddiqui, was the leading uh, uh, retailer of, of high-end watches and high-end watches in in the UAE. Uh, you know, I I, consult, I contacted contacted them. They they gave me some ideas and yeah, the, what they what they say about it? Because I mean, that's their market, right? Were they like, yeah, we can sell these, or this is a really elegant solution? We're not sure who's going to buy it. it. They loved it. They really yeah. really loved it. They loved. I mean, first of all, if you look at the watch, the watch is a very classic, a classy looking watch. Yeah, you won't see anything. There is no, not even the slightest hint. What is it? You don't know. You think it's a chronograph. It looks like a chronograph. It just looks like a like a nice looking retro. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's Absolutely. it's very it's very it's very inoffensive. Let's put it that way. Absolutely, and that was one of the one of the. Uh, elements we wanted to 
it, it cannot be too extrovert, you know, because if it's a religious thing, you better you be subtle, subtle, you be understated. Um, and that's exactly the purpose of the design. That's why we say we want to have a timeless, a timeless looking beautiful watch, but with this innovation in it. So I think that was one of the key elements. And of course, we showed it to Siddiqui uh, in, in the first prototypes. I went down to Dubai. I showed it to them. They really, really, really liked it. And they said, this is beautiful. If that is really uh, how the watch will look like. And, you know, they, 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 they showed me right from the beginning the interest of being our partner in the, in the Middle East also. And, you know, Siddiqui is kind of, you're being knighted if you're doing business with Siddiqui. I mean, this super it's an honor. And they help you a lot. They help you a lot, as I understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a great relationship with them. And, um, you know, and we're rolling it out. And now we have lots of interest for the products from various, you know, we start in the GCC. And again, you know, we embrace things. We don't say, oh, this is what we don't do. This is what we don't do. We embrace things and things that cannot be done mechanically because mechanics has its limits. We embrace new technology. And we I mean, did look, that. Look, you, you kind of glossed over it, but I want to talk about it because I think it's important for the audience to understand. You went out of your comfort zone as a mechanical watch or traditional watch business yes. person, and you incorporated smartwatch technology, mixing it with a mechanical Clever, watch. But the difference, I have to correct This you, is a big smart, risk for you. A smart a smartwatch has an operating system. A smartwatch has a touchscreen. We don't. We don't. So we Well, it's it's electronics and hardware and different stuff. Yes. But it's a module, the module we created is on top on top of the mechanical movement. Explain why this is such a taboo thing, because you're being very careful to use and not use certain words, and there's probably a reason for that. Explain to people listening why terminology is so important in, in, in what you're doing, because you are, are you blending things that aren't normally blended? Is there a, a you know, sort of a controversial element? Help, help people understand why the, the delicacy in the terminology. The problem with, in general, with electronics is electronic can be super cheap and can be super expensive. And People sometimes refer, you know, when it when it comes to, to electronics, yeah, it's somewhere made in Far East, blah, 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 blah. It's some cheap stuff. It's got some, you know, some microprocessor, blah, 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 and this and that. So it's it doesn't have it doesn't have the same not associated with luxury. Yes. I see. But we on the I other see. hand, we created a, a module that is comparable to high-end stereo systems. You know, high-end stereo, I, that's another thing. You know, I'm a very, very audiophile or audiophile. You like the music, sure. Yeah. So high-end audio equipment was always something I I, 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 I dwelt in. So I I really love that stuff. And, that, and there it's, it's, it's a similar thing. You know, you have mechanical components in it. You know, when I see a belt, uh, a belt-driven CD player or a belt-driven uh, uh, turntable, and you still got some electronics. It's just a question of what components are you using? And we are, we have created, um, or we have created a module made of the finest components available on the market. And things are being in, conceived, developed, and manufactured entirely in Switzerland. And nothing is basically off the shelf. So, but for, for especially for mechanical people to understand this in general, you know, if you're hardcore mechanical, maybe it doesn't resonate to you. But one thing needs to be understood to actually uh, to make this 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 function happening. You know, this can only be done with some electronic components. But we, I, I think, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that the taboo needs to go away. That's why we. That's why we said we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it because for us it wasn't a taboo at all. And I'm, I'm okay. used to be a mechanical guy, but I saw how meticulously high-end components of electronics can be made. This is not comparable with with uh, with something ordinary and common. This is really, really. I, I totally high agree. So we're, we're we're almost out of time, Thomas. Last question. 
And obviously, we have to talk more about other stuff, maybe music next time. But does does the brand stick with this, you know, um, you know, Islam religious function watch, or is this just a starting point? I think it's interesting for me to know where your mind is at. You obviously have bounced around for a lot of things. You want to do weird stuff. Um, you want to do niche things. You want to, you know, create tools for interesting purposes. Where do you go from here realistically and ideally? Like ideally, if the money started flowing in, what kind of crazy stuff would you make? Well, first of all, we have two worlds within Aramanis. We have, on the one hand side, we have a Zurich collection, which is, which is a, a classic mechanical collection. This, this is what we find, uh, even Siddiqui, they liked the way they have not only taken um, the Mecca collection in, into their portfolio. They, they said, we want to have everything off the brand. We like the concept. We like the idea. And of course, you know, we... We are a Swiss brand based from Zurich. We are 100% Swiss. And for us, it's not limited to the Mecca collection. But we thought we want to occupy that space because nobody did in that, in that particular field. And what we wanted to show is our openness. We wanted to show openness. And with this technology, we can do other things as well. You know, there's... It's a huge universe you, you can do. And, and we're work, currently working on other, other functions as well for this technology. And this allows us, you know, I always say it's like with, with, with mechanical function purely, you're very handcuffed because mechanics has, has its limits. And as you can see, the industry, and that was one of our triggers as well, the industry is not really revolutionizing in a way it's everybody is doing the same things uh, slightly different and a different combination of something but you know you cannot break out of the limits of mechanics period but it's you know the funny thing it's like buying a car that performs the exact same way over and over and over and over again like you would just get bored like like how many times do you need a chronograph or a gmt in your collection correct 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 absolutely absolutely so this is so there is more to come from from us, and we wanted to be we wanted to be yeah we wanted to challenge the status quo. That is that was our our uh, our uh, intention of why when we created Aramedes and this technology that was the idea. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to know the brand a little bit better. You gave me a good little tease when we met uh, in Dubai, uh, Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Superlative. Everyone, you can learn more at. Um, uh, aramedes.com uh, and we'll put more in the show notes Thomas thank you so much thank you so much Ariel always a pleasure talking to you thank you for listening to another episode of the superlative podcast support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform for questions comments and ideas please email the show at superlative at a blog to watch.com for the latest in watch news reviews and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?